all my friends and everyone interested in this ancient text called the Bible, written thousands of years ago, and yet it's supposed to mean something to us today. I'm your host, Jonathan the Dumb Christian, and my wife detests that my favorite color is brown. We're going to try and wrap our heads around the next section in Genesis today, and the Bible's about to get very real. We might get a little excited, a little colorful, so buckle up and welcome to Dumb Christian. When we think about the Bible, there's this word that gets thrown around a lot, and it's the inerrancy of Scripture, the idea that there's nothing wrong in the Bible. There are no errors. Some people subscribe to the idea that although there might be some linguistic errors or some things that weren't correctly recorded or written down, overall, the uh, the higher principle is that the Bible is true and right, even if there are some spelling errors or linguistic errors or things that maybe didn't get translated just perfectly. But in the camp that believes and holds to the idea that the inerrancy of scripture is true, meaning there are no errors. There's this idea that is floating around, especially in the Jewish tradition and culture that says, even when words are misspelled, they're misspelled on purpose, not because there was an error, but because God wanted them spelt that way. And as we get into the second chapter of Genesis, we're actually going to encounter one of these words that seemingly are spelt wrong, but it is actually spelt the way that it's supposed to, according to the inerrancy of Scripture. We're going to explore Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 through 25, the rest of chapter 2. And it says, these are the generations of heaven and earth. The word in Hebrew for generations actually comes it's uh, comes from the uh, Hebrew word yalad, which means to bring forth. These are the generations. This is everything that's come out of the heavens and the earth when they were perfect, created the way that they were supposed to be. When everything was right, perfect, very good, these are the generations. These are the things that came forth from creation when it was all as it should be. In the Hebrew language, every letter in the Hebrew alphabet has a few different meanings. One, it represents a letter. It also represents a phonetic sound. It represents a number, and it represents a picture. It means something. And we're going to actually do a little bit of a Hebrew lesson at the end of this episode, because what we're going to discover is that although generations is spelt differently here than anywhere else in the Bible, this is the only space, the only place in the whole Bible where generations is spelt this way, we're going to discover that when it's spelt differently elsewhere, it's it might actually have a reason, a picture for us to give us a hint, a clue at what God is doing, uh, which we'll get into that later. But what we need to understand right now, right off the bat, is that this generations is unique. It's unlike any other generations in the world after sin enters the picture. But this, this is what's born out of creation when it's perfect. And the way things are that this Genesis chapter two tells us the way things are in the world when they are perfect, it says there's no small plant in the field. There's no weeds. 
There's no weeds, nothing inconvenient about the work assigned. There's no labor involved cleaning out the soil. There's no weeds. It also says there had, no rain had fallen yet. There's no weather. Something about sin affected creation so much that brought about weather. Before sin, while it was perfect, there was no rain. There were no thunderstorms. There were no tornadoes or hurricanes or floods. Wink, wink. We'll get into that. Genesis chapter 6. But there were no weeds, there, were no, there was no weather, and humankind, people, creatures who were made in the image of God, lived in perfect harmony with creation, with plants and animals, and worked the ground and managed creation exactly as if God himself were managing creation. Now, when God created man, Elohim, the plurality of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, spoke to each other and they said, let us create a creature, a being in our image. Part of what makes God God is that he has perfect, right relationship with every aspect of who he is, Father, Son, and Spirit. They all are in perfect unity and this is a quality of God's character. And this does not translate to a created being who is not God. We understand that we as people, we have multiple aspects to our being. We have a body, but we also have emotions. We have intellect, things that don't necessarily work in harmony, but different aspects of who we are that embody different qualities of who we are. And and something about being created as a multiple of a multitude of persons in one being didn't quite translate and so man there's this human being born created a physical manifestation of god's image on earth perfectly suited and designed to manage creation by themselves and they just are operating as a as a person one being fully equipped and able to manage all of creation on their own. And the first job that they have is given to Adam is is this first person's name Adam. And and his job is to name the animals, use words to give shape, meaning and substance to creation, right? Just like God did in the beginning using words to create the universe, give it shape, meaning and substance. This is the human's first job is reflective of God's interaction with and job in creation, giving meaning to things. And so Adam's first job is to name. And so he sets out and as he's managing creation, there's something that triggers inside of him where God is recognizing there's something that happens during the naming process where God is embodying that, that God image in him by giving shape, meaning and substance, using words, creating words, giving depth and breadth to the universe. And God realizes something didn't quite translate from the spirit into the physical there's limitations to the physical because as human beings we are bound by time space and matter these are limitations that god doesn't have and so to limit the image of god something didn't work quite right and so god looks down and he says man is alone this human being it's not good for them to be alone we need that image that perfect harmonious relationship that god has between within himself father son and holy spirit that's essential as an image bearer of god and so what god says is i'm going to make a woman and so god puts adam to sleep 
the perfect created human being in God's image, and he removes a rib, one of Adam's ribs, and then he uses this rib to create another human being, not a copy of Adam, but actually something based on a quality, an aspect of Adam that was removed from him, and it creates a human being, a person who is similar enough that they too are also image bearers, but they are different enough that they each now serve a unique function, role, and purpose in creation. God removes something from the first person. So he's no longer fully capable, qualified, and equipped to be a solo manager of creation. He's missing something from his created being. And this woman, this perfect counterpart is created with everything that Adam needs and to be successful. But it's not so that Adam is successful. It's that Adam now needs what Eve has, which is the woman's name. But Eve also needs what the man has. They both need each other as they have a role assigned to them to manage creation as though God himself we're doing it. The The mission is still the same, to be image bearers, to work in a perfect, harmonious relationship within creation, to operate like God would. And so, before there were weeds, before there was weather, while everything is perfect the way that it was, these are the generations, these are the things born out of creation. Human beings who are not alone, but in perfect right relationship with each other are able to effectively manage and operate creation the way they were designed to. To manage like God does, he does it in unity of his three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're always working together in tandem to accomplish a singular mission, a singular purpose, and each of them have unique capabilities and qualities to accomplish this, we see that the Father speaks, the Spirit hovers over the water, and Colossians later tells us that it is through Jesus that all things were made. And so they each have a unique aspect and quality essential to creating, as do humans. Now, Adam is no longer fully equipped and able to manage creation as he was designed to, but he needs a right relationship with that counterpart who offers those other unique features in, when it comes to managing creation. And only together, when the man and the woman submit to each other and say, we need each other, I need your strengths to fill in for my weaknesses, and I can use my strengths to fill in for your weaknesses, and it is an equal partnership where each is fully aware of their dependency on each other to accomplish their job, but also sacrificially pouring into what they are able to give and contribute to creation as a part of their design, function, and right relationship with each other. This is the image of God at work. And so when God creates woman, he sees, oh, now we can now we're cooking with some peanut oil right now we can do something fantastic we can do something amazing now that they can work together and accomplish thing, these things together 
and God says, okay, here's what I want you to do now. I've got a great idea. What I want you guys to do as, as man and woman, I want you guys to have a lot of sex and a lot of babies so that you fill the earth with lots of little divine image bearers who will be able to just spread across the whole earth and accomplish some incredible things. And we'll just have more and more and more of these good, right, perfect relationships just flooding through creation. And it's man, it's mankind's responsibility. It's the job of human beings, the generations of a perfect creation is for men and women to love each other to get naked and do the horizontal mambo and fill the earth with more people who can contribute and participate in naming and engage in the creation process to finish what God started. And then after day six, after he creates man and woman, and he gives them a sexy job, God rests, and he actually calls creation to rest, that there is a sovereign time to push pause and appreciate everything that has been done, appreciate everything that's been made, appreciate the sex you had. Hey, congrats on the sex. Congrats on the babies that are coming and filling the earth, the the people who are now able to, I mean, I, I'm having difficulty like even wrapping my mind around this idea of a, a whole world where everyone looks at each other and is in right relationship with each other, each person satisfying the role and, and, and purpose that they have, graciously making room, oh, I can't do this, I need your help. Eve, Adam says to Eve, I, I need you to be able to accomplish this mission and, and men and women coming together. That's where, the, and this is where scripture says, this is why a man will leave his family. A woman will leave their family so that they can come together and they can actually become one flesh, husband and wife. This is the original perfect creation design, the intention of what would come out of a perfect heaven and perfect earth, the generations after creation and God says rest and appreciate and enjoy what I've given you yes we've got work to do and we're going to get to it Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday Saturday oh I screwed that up Sunday Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday but on Saturday it's pool time yeah folding chair out by the pool crack open a cold one with the boys and rest. Allow God to be the source from which we find everything because otherwise we're just constantly frantically running around trying to get everything done and God says, "Don't worry, I've got it. I've got it. I've take I've got it taken care of." And I'll I'll run it, I'll manage it. We just need to rest. I'll take care of the details. Do what you're designed for, fulfill that purpose, fulfill that good thing that I have for you. Find pleasure and enjoyment in what I've made for you and just rest a bit. And then something happens that actually breaks creation. We're not going to dive into that today, 
But what I wanted us to take some time to understand was there is a flow and function. There is a rhythm in which the generations come forth when things are the way that they're supposed to be. We do have a picture. We, we look at the world and we think, man, nothing works now the way that it should. We know that. We can see that in our lives, our relationships in the world, in other countries, in our own country, in our own neighborhood. And we can see, man, things are not perfect. They're not the way that they should be. But the Bible does give us a picture of what it did look like when it was perfect. And as we explore the Bible and we discover that God lays out all these boundaries, rules, and regulations, we think it's very easy for us to fall into these ideas and patterns. Oh, that's how God wants us to act. But in, in reality, what God's doing when he meets us, when we get into the law, like um, Exodus and Leviticus, or even when we get into Kings and Judges, or we get into New Testament law and these things where uh, scripture seems to be explaining things in such a way that maybe confuse us and say, well, how does that lead to perfection? We'll have to understand that God isn't telling us how to make the world perfect. It was perfect. And then it was broken. And so when we encounter all these ways that God is teaching us how to live in a broken world, he's not telling us how to attain perfection again. He's telling, he's teaching us, he's giving us those guidelines and those boundaries in a broken world that will point us to the one who at one point had made it perfect and will make it perfect once more. So next week, we're going to jump into Genesis chapter three. We're going to look at what this thing was that broke the perfect system. And as we continue to get into John on Wednesdays, we're going to see something really incredible about a redeemer named Jesus. And this idea of a of a redeemer brings us to our little mini Hebrew lesson. We're going to look at the word generations. The word generations in Hebrew in in my really bad crappy American idea of how to speak ancient Hebrew is pronounced um toledot. Everyone say toledot. Yes, yes, I heard, yes, you got it, you nailed it. Now, the Hebrew language is weird, and I, I'm not going to try and go through the alphabet, so I'm just going to kind of do some transliteration for our phonetic English-speaking ears. Um, generations is typically spelt T-V-L-D-V-T, Toledot. But here in Genesis, chapter 2, generations is spelt TV. D-L-V-T. The two middle letters, L and D, are flipped. This is the only place in the entire Bible where generations is spelt T-V-D-L-V-T. Every other time after sin occurs in the Bible, well, for the rest of the Pentateuch at least, when we see the word generations, it's talking about the generations of Adams, the gener uh, the generations of Seth, ge the generations of uh, Noah, the generations of Abraham. Every time we see the word generations to come forth out of, it's spelt T-V-L-D-V-T. And the, the, the two little consonants, the two middle consonants are flipped. T-V-L-D-V-T. Now, there's one more trick that's missing. 
in every other spelling of generations after this Genesis chapter two word generations. And every time we see the word generations um, in the Pentateuch, it's missing one or both of the V's. if you're just listening, I know this might be a little bit hard to keep track of. I'm, I, I think I'm going to have some visual aids right here uh, on the video, so that might help. Check it out, Dumb Christian, on YouTube. Uh, you could subscribe, hit a little bell, and you'll be he- hearing ringing for weeks. But um, every time it's spelt, it's missing one or both of the V's, and the L D. Are, are are mixed compared to the very first time we see the word generations. Now, the V in Hebrew is also a picture of a nail. The idea that it is fastened, it's holding things together. And so the word generations originally presented with two Vs, TV, DL, VT. And there are two Vs, holding, fastening everything together. The generations are held together the way that they are meant to be. But after generations two, uh, Genesis two, the V, the, the D and the L are switched. And so creation is mixed up and it's missing something that's holding it together. We see this every time the word generations is written until we meet a guy named Boaz. I did a we did an episode called The Moabite Princess where you can hear all about Boaz, go check it out. But when we meet Boaz, we discover that Boaz is a redeemer. Here we are given a picture of the one who redeems his creation. Boaz redeems Ruth and he saves her, he restores her, he restores her family, he restores her honor, he restores her heritage, and once we meet this Redeemer Boaz, generations is spelt, when it says the generations of Boaz, both V's are restored to the word generations. TV, LD. VT. Both nails have been put back in place. It's all coming back together. The D and the L are still switched from the very first time it was written, so creation is still a little bit mixed up. Our generations are still a little bit crisscrossed. However, everything has been redeemed. It's in the process of being restored and made right by a Redeemer. And so Boaz is this sneak peek as a Redeemer of Jesus who is coming, who we meet in John in the New Testament, who is coming to redeem all of creation. Yes, to restore the V, the nails that hold it all together, to bring back everything that is missing from the original creation. And even while we are still in it, and it's still mixed up, still messed up, he is working to restore it and redeem it back to its original design and intention of bringing forth a creation that is perfect. A lot of bunch of little image bearers running around understanding their, their, their significance, their true value, the value of what they bring into creation, but also the value of others who have a responsibility and purpose and role and function within creation and everybody honoring each other's value perfectly um, 
encouraging and equipping and making room for everybody to do what God has designed and intended for them to do the way he designed and intended for them to do it. These are the generations that God wants to produce in us. And it starts in Genesis chapter 2 of this ancient book, the Bible. I have been your host, Jonathan, the dumb Christian. I love you guys. Later. Guys, thank you so much. Again, I know as we start to lay the groundwork for the beginning of these books uh, in in the Old Testament, Genesis, the New Testament, and John, um, we're just kind of getting some shorter episodes, laying some foundational groundwork as we get into some of these really incredible stories. So thank you for joining me as we explored the word generations from an ancient Hebrew perspective. Uh, please share this with your friends and your family. Don't go on this journey alone. Give us a like, hit subscribe, and ring that bell. And, and somewhere in Tibet, a monk will wonder where that ringing sound is coming from. I love you guys. Catch you later. Bye.